that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. KBU makes everything metal. It's the Metal March, a special benefit show for KBU Community Radio, featuring seven and a half hours of brutality from your favorite KBU metal programs. Heavy Metal Vomit Party, Oil for Kisses, The Metal Margin, and Pandemonium. March 4th and support metal on KBU. Text METAL to 44321 or go to kboo.fm slash metal to donate and tune in to the Metal March Marathon on KBU. Again, that's Wednesday, March 3rd at 10 p.m. through Thursday, March 4th at 5.30 a.m. METAL takes over the airwaves for the Metal March Marathon only on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. Welcome to The Food Show, I'm Emily Becker. Today we'll hear interviews with two organizations working to build health and community among Black Oregonians, the Black Oregon Land Trust and the Preserve Coalition. The Black Oregon Land Trust, BOLT, is working to create opportunities for Black farmers in Oregon to own land, build generational health and wealth, and birth sovereign, thriving communities. Today you'll hear from two BOLT leaders, Farmer Shante Johnson of Mudbone Grown and Anaka, an artist and herbalist. Both will share their beautiful vision for the land trust. In the second half of the show, we'll learn about the Preserve Coalition from Latroy Robinson, a co-chair of the coalition and a research assistant at Oregon Health and Science University's Clinical Physiology and Chronobiology program. The Preserve Coalition is building community and collaborating in research that aims to reduce health disparities among older African Americans. I started out my interview with Bolt by asking Shante and Anaka to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Anaka. I'm a part of Black Oregon Land Trust. Um, currently, I'm serving as their administrative support. Um, I'm also a photographer, filmmaker, herbalist, and tattoo artist. Yeah, my name is Shantae Johnson, and I am on the leadership of the Black Oregon Land Trust. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today on The Food Show. Um, I think the Black Oregon Land Trust BOLT, it has an amazing acronym, uh, <laughs> is a very exciting idea, and I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about it. Could you just start out by telling me, you know, uh, how did it start? Well, the Black Oregon Land Trust um, started um, started through multiple conversations um, a couple years ago. So um, I'm a farmer um, with Mudbone Grown and um, have been a part of a lot of different um, 
food system movements, conversations, and advocacy. And through some of those conversations, um, you know, we really realized that what we needed was um, a land trust for Black farmers to be able to have access um, to have access to to land. Um, you know, starting off with with Mudbone, we've had to get really creative with the ways that we access land in the city, and started off doing that. Um, and so, you know, that that's fine. But what often happens is people have to move from space to space, and they don't really get to like dig in. Um, you know, dig in completely to um, to growing on the land and to tending to the soil because there's a lot of inputs and, and energy and time that goes into that. So the Black Organ Land Trust, you know, we actually um, really talked more about the idea last summer. And so um, I had a conversation uh, with Oregon State University's uh, Lauren Gwynn and they were able to um, support me in just getting the land trust started and doing some initial research um, and outreach. And from that, um, I was able to um, reach out to other Black food system leaders, herbalists. Um, we have some healers and just an amazing group of Black femmes that have joined the leadership team um, at the Black Oregon Land Trust. And so that's kind of how it, it came to be. So over the summer, we've been meeting like weekly and trying to um, establish um, establish it as a legal land trust. That sounds fascinating and really exciting. Um, just to kind of, you know, walk us through a little bit more about what the problem is that you're trying to solve. Can you tell us about, you know, Mudbone Grown's issues with land tenure and, and that kind of process of moving and what it's like to move a farm? Yeah, so um, for the past couple years, uh, the past couple years, we've been um, farming at the Oregon Food Bank. In total, we've only been farming for probably about six years. And we started off there, um, but before there, we actually started off at Arbor Lodge Urban Farm off of Interstate and Rosa Parks Way. And you know, we only had a year of um, growing on that particular land because they were getting ready to, um, you know, create some affordable housing on that property, which was amazing for, you know, the, you know, community um, because people really need to have, you know, housing. But we knew that we were going to have to move from that particular um, plot and find somewhere new. So we just kind of put the word out and landed at the Oregon Food Bank site. Um, and we're able to um, lease that site for a couple of years for free, um, created some agricultural training programs. And, um, you know, we were, we were growing as a business and wanted to have um, a spot that was dedicated to ourselves um, and, and our farming, um, just, you know, have our, our, our own spot really. And so we were able to connect to Oregon Farm Link and um, lease a property out in Corbett, Oregon on 19 acres. We don't own the land. And so when you start thinking about all the, the infrastructure, like building a greenhouse and, um, you know, um, establishing rows and building the soil up and those kind of things, it's really, you're, you're putting a lot of love and time and energy into building up that location. And, um, you know, we've, like I said, we've been at a few different spots. And so just not knowing like that we have a permanent location, it's like, we don't wanna build certain things because we may not be able to take it with us. So it makes it a little bit tough for farmers to be able to really scale up um, if they know they're not, they're only gonna be there, you know, temporarily. So then, you know, tell us a little bit more about the complexity when you're black farmers when you're farmers of color like how that compounds the issue of um, being able to stay in one spot when you you can look at something similar to gentrification right and how a lot of black folks have been displaced from northeast portland and are, are being pushed out into the outskirts of east county um, for black farmers that's also that's also the case in regard to farms so, you know, everybody doesn't always wanna farm out in a rural space. They may wanna farm in an urban space. 
and people need access to food because of gentrification like a lot of people and, and community members have been displaced you know all over the city and so it does make it hard for um, not only black community members to organize and get together but also um, some of the farming and garden you know garden initiatives that people um, did in the past if we really look at like the nation and how much um, land loss there's been across the board for black farmers it is very severe um, black farmers account for only 1.4 percent of the country's 3.4 million food producers and black owned farms account for just 0.5% of total farmland in the US. And so here in Oregon, it's like 0.1% of farmland in Oregon is black owned. So there is a huge issue with uh, black farmers um, not having access to land. And um, when you think about it, that's how you build generational wealth um, is also off the land and are able to leverage and get, you know, get some of the things that you need um, not only just food-wise um, out to community, but that's also capital that you're able to work with. And so, you know, as we're thinking about, you know, some of the, the, the other issues that we have, there's a lot of discrimination that has happened um, against Black farmers and just Black folks um, in general when it comes to systematic racism and the way that it's played out um, over time. Um, there's been a lot of broken promises in regards to um, supporting black farmers, not only in Oregon, but in the nation. Um, we could look to things like the broken promise of the 40 acres and a mule. Um, and that was never uh, realized for black free people here um, in the United States. We can also look at all the systematic racism that's happened through um, USDA and other government agencies that have really kept um, black farmers out of being able to acquire loans um, and have really contributed to, to the land loss and land theft and dislocation of black farmers. Um, and then here specifically in Oregon, we can look at some of the exclusion laws that Oregon, um, that Oregon has in its constitution, um, which prohibited black people from even owning land or even living in the state. And so there are a lot of barriers. There are a lot of things that have kept black farmers from even being able to own land. So it doesn't make sense that we are working on this, um, working on this so that we can have a space for black farmers and community to come together and and do the work together. So there's clearly a, you know, a mountain of, of problems and issues that hopefully the, the land trust will solve. I just want to say that like we won't be able to solve all of these issues because <laughs> are some very deep-rooted systematic issues but we are striving to create community um, you know with Black Oregon Land Trust. We are looking to um, get Black folks back to the land um, because that's that's where we can practice our culture, that's where we can heal, heal at is on the land and that's where um, we can practice and realize uh, Black food sovereignty. Amazing. So a land trust is not something that I understand very thoroughly, but I do know it's a specific structure of, of ownership. Could one of you kind of explain what a land trust is and how the Black Oregon Land Trust will function? A land trust is an organization that ensures that land is able to be permanently secured it, under a land trust organization. So it's basically a way to um, provide security around land ownership so that if there was a person, say, who acquired land under the land trust that passed away and they didn't have anyone to receive the land after, instead of the land going back to the government, it would go to the land trust and we would be able to um, repatriate the land. I don't know if that's a perfect explanation but that's how I understand it right now. Shantae, do you want to add anything? Yeah, yeah. so um, I agree with that. I think also what we're thinking about with the land trust is that Bolt would hopefully be in the position to be able to um, purchase land 
so that we could hold it hold it for black farmers like Anaka said. Um, the idea is that um, a lot of folks are aging out. So we have a lot of farmers, the average age of a farmer is like 60 years old, right? And we need more young people to come into farming as these elders are transitioning out. So there's gonna be a lot of changing of hands of land and important that we're ready for the opportunity with establishing the land trust. So what that looks like is that we will, like I said, be able to purchase land, hold it in community. So there won't be one owner, it will be held in this trust. And so the trust will be the owner so that like, let's say, you know, for instance, my kids didn't want a farm and I owned a piece of property. Like Anaka said, that farm could just be sold or taken by the government and then that's farmland that's just gone. So it's really for us about preserving farmland um, and practicing conservation practices and building community and having a space to just be free, so. Right, and a lot of, you know, the land, I think it's about two thirds of the farmland in America in the next coming years is gonna be turned over like what Shante said. So a lot of the goal also is to just be able to take advantage of the changing hands and understand that that um, is gonna provide a lot of opportunity for our generations now and future generations for employment and sovereignty. Um, yeah, I, I know that once the land is available, that that people will have ways to create lives that they desire instead of having to sacrifice lives in a city um, for a much less sovereign choice. So providing farmland for Black families, um, for Black entrepreneurs in the future will provide a lot of space for us to be able to invest back into ourselves instead of continuously investing in a system that um, doesn't have our sovereignty as a priority. Um, and that's why working with a land trust is also amazing because it's not all under one name, it's under an organization that has a similar intention. So then the leadership can shape shifts over time, depending on what the land needs and depending on what our people need as well. We were talking a little bit earlier about the, the phase that you're in now of the formation of the land trust. And it sounds like, you know, you're meeting and you're organizing and you're, um, you're kind of you're in that phase of figuring things out. What's the next step and where are you going with the land trust? So where we're going with the land trust is we're becoming a nonprofit organization so we can um, accept um, donations of land as well as donations of finances directly to the trust. Um, we're also going to be um, working to create opportunities for current Black farmers and dreaming Black farmers people who want to be land stewards to um, access land that has been donated directly to the trust. Um, and that is definitely gonna look like a specific structure that we'll make up for ourselves. But I definitely am interested in um, discussing ways of including cooperative movements and like other different ways of um, group leadership in terms of farming and other economic like ways to bring up um, sustainable futures on the land. Yeah, something we're also really excited about is um, partnering with one of our sister organizations, the Black Food Fund. And so the Black Food Fund has been, um, it's, it's kind of keeping pace right, right alongside us in regards to the Black Food Fund will be focusing more on kind of mentoring and technical assistance and um, operating capital. And so uh, with that, what that would look like is um, the Black Food Fund, you know, will help with some of the infrastructure needs that the farmers would have on the farm, because we do know that it's not enough to just establish the land trust and to um, give people access to land. They're going to need capital to um, put greenhouses, have equipment that they may need, um, and additional resources put to the land. And so the Black Food Fund will will support that, um, some of those efforts as well. So um, we're looking for collaboration um, within our community and also um, outside our community as we're, we're trekking along. But it is going to be a process. Um, so um, stay tuned for, for all the greatness that it's going to bring. <laughs> I will. Um, are you imagining that this will be one tract of land or 
many pieces of land? And you know, do you have a geographic focus other than Oregon? Um, I definitely think we're gonna stick with Oregon as a geographical standpoint, just because um, you know, besides its history of exclusion excluding black people specifically, um, Oregon is also a great place to motivate people to come work with the land because it has a beautiful soil and like it's just a beautiful place to be. I feel like we're definitely manifesting besides farmland, just land that we could use for education surrounding farming, land that we could use um, as ceremony space, as like a cultural easement in relation to the health of farmers and land workers. Um, so yeah, we're definitely manifesting um, donated land, being able to buy land um, around the state, um, preferably in spaces that primarily are already safe for Black people to be around. Um, that is definitely something we're considering as we get offerings for land is like if Black people should even be there right now. But hopefully over time, as Black Oregon Land Trust continues to be successful, we'll be able to, you know, not have to consider that so deeply. But there are definitely some areas that um, we've had to reconsider, like if we would receive a donation from there, and if so, what it would be like and things like that. Can you give an example of, of one of those those areas where you you might just say no, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, what, what was an area? We were talking about one area before, but I can't remember. Um, yeah, I don't think I could say specifically an area offhand right now because I don't want any haters. But also, um, <laughs> I'm more just thinking in terms of, um, you know, like I have family that um, has a farm in, in Ashland, for example, and like, I always felt safe being in Ashland as a kid growing up, but like my father definitely got pulled over by the cops multiple times on our drive there and back because we had to go through other areas of Oregon. And even in Ashland recently, somebody was shot. So, you know, like obviously everywhere, it's gonna be a little risky for us, but that's why it's also important to have the support of something like a land trust and black um, food fund because we're basically providing a community to come along with you through your journey. So you don't have to feel like you're out there on your own, you know. So that's also going back to Shantae's point of like, we really want to emphasize creating community as we build this because, yeah, people are definitely not alone in wanting to reclaim the land and like really um, get back to their roots. And we want to help nourish that in as many ways as we can. So I'm curious about the ways that a land trust could help to build intergenerational wealth, you know, the way that our that land in our capitalist society works is that if you own it, then you get the wealth out of it. And a, and a trust essentially like takes that away, right? You hold it in trust together. And then when you stop using the land, somebody else gets to use it. Or if you die, it doesn't get passed on to your kids. So I'm wondering like, how how is that intergenerational wealth gonna be built through the land trust? Well, I would say that those are questions that we're still really working out. Um, I couldn't give you like a concrete answer on on the how, because there's a lot of different things that it depends on, right? So um, I would say in, in, in how maybe generational wealth could be built is um, some ways that we're thinking about, are we going to purchase land and then sell it to um, another Black farmer? And, and sell it, you know, possibly below market rate. And then that, that way they can build it, you know, individually as a family, you know, and it might, might be a mix of both, you know, where the trust has land that it keeps in its portfolio and also land that it's able to sell and support other black farmers um, with buying land. So there are different ways that you can make money once you have access to the land, right? You can farm. You can create like a destination space, you know, like there's um, agro-tourism and things like that. There's um, ways that you could do a retreat center or a healing place. So there are ways that you could still make money while on the land. But yeah, that's probably a, a question that we are still kind of working through about how we would help build generational wealth that way. I think housing also is like an interesting and important thing to bring up. Like I like I said earlier, I definitely imagine like certain types of cooperatives building on the land over time. Like maybe we're not necessarily leading it, but people would be like called to be a part of the land trust and then create their own cooperatives around affordable housing, 
or you know different things like that that they could use the land for um, in relation to farming you know so I definitely feel like the intergenerational wealth doesn't necessarily always mean monetary wealth even though that does tend to happen naturally alongside everything else I think intergenerational wealth also just literally has to do with security and housing and just having an actual space for your family to be when you pass um so yeah just ensuring like the safety of your lineage is definitely an intergenerational wealth that black people haven't been able to have since we got here i think it's a dreamy project to take a bunch of farmland out of the hands of white people and put it into a trust held specifically for black Oregonians. I think that's an amazing idea. (laughs) Just that like, I don't know, it's just, it sounds beautiful. I think a lot of people are going to get pretty excited about this project. How, How are you asking people to support Bolt right now? We are asking for um, some startup capital, really, um, is something that we're really looking for so that we can have the ability to grow a little bit more of our team. And um, not only that, but also have money to purchase land. Um, And so we will be launching a capital campaign soon to really um, support those efforts because this takes a lot of time and we've all put a lot of love and energy um, into creating, you know, the Black Oregon Land Trust. You know, we do, we could use support from community. If they have land, once we're established, they want to donate, please reach out to us and let us know. So there's the immediate need around startup capital, but also land opportunities, technical assistance. Um, we do have attorneys that we're working on with establishing our land trust. So we're, we're pretty good there. Um, and we have other um, other local land trusts that are putting in some time and support. And um, we've received a few donations so far. So just to keep us moving along, it would be great if community um, could step up and just throw down on um, helping us with that startup capital. All we need is the land and the moolah, honey. I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> so no. So if if great. I'm a um, if I'm a farmer and my kids aren't gonna farm my land and I want it to go into a trust, who would I who would I get in touch with? You can email blackoregonland at gmail.com. <laughs> and then what if I um, am me and have a little bit of money that I could donate? How would I get it to you? So we've been working with Black Food Fund at the moment to receive donations for us. So you could either look at Black Food Fund Oregon or you could email us and we can give you an exact link, blackoregonland at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram, Black Oregon Land Trust. So you can also follow us on there and we have a website in our bio where you can click the link and go donate. So it sounds like you've, you know, made a lot of great partnerships and you've got some really good support. I guess I'm wondering, is there is there any possibility that state or federal governmental funds would support the project? Is that something you're looking into or will it, will it really be from mostly from individuals that you get the, the funding and the land? I would say it would definitely be a mix. Um, We are looking at applying for grants. We are looking into talking um, with like different congressmen and things like that that are local here that can, you know, connect us to resources. So um, if people have access to some of those connections um, when it comes to like grant opportunities or just federal uh, funding opportunities, I would say we would be open to them reaching out to it, you know, out to us and letting us know. So, I mean, it's going to take uh, take a lot to be able to purchase land in this day and age. So we're not afraid to take federal dollars <laughs> or any dollars for that matter, as, as long as it's, you know, in, in line with our, our vision and our mission. Is there anything else that you want to tell me about the Black Oregon Land Trust or tell our listeners about or um, anything else you want to say? Soapbox time. Going to talk about reparations and how people should just give their land to you <laughs> to make up for their ancestors. Go for it. <laughs> well, I'm really excited about Black Oregon Land Trust because I feel like, you know, speaking on again, um, generational wealth, I feel like this will also just increase our wealth and ability to really tune into who we truly are as Black people, as Indigenous people on this land. Um, a lot of 
this society has pulled us away from being able to really be in tune with our food, in tune with the nature, um, and even growing up in Oregon, like still just being in a system where, you know, I go to the grocery store for all my food every time has made it so um, I really look forward to a future where I can be on the land more like how Shantae is. Um, and I feel like I know a lot of people my age, I'm 27, I know a lot of people around my age who are thinking about their futures and just really wanna be with the land. So I'm excited to like be a part of creating an organization that's encouraging that for us um, so we can really truly grow our own food, make our own medicines, build our own homes and just like really understand that sovereignty may sound romantic and beautiful, but it also is a lot of work. So um, just preparing myself for that, preparing to be with community through that, um, and just feeling really grateful to be on the front lines with this project. Yeah, I I am so excited about this project and just seeing the level of passion that all of us have for, for this work and you know helping to get Black farmers um, you know, back to the land um, and ha be able to like have access to that for themselves. And not just black farmers, but also like Anaka mentioned, like black community in general. And so when farmers can just dream and grow in the way that they want to, then they're able to provide fresh food um, to community. You know, we're able to build community on that land and really start to, um, really start to just be free and grow food, grow medicine, have babies <laughs> running around and um, just really actually, you know, loving on it, on one another, which we really need more of that right now. So I look forward to the Black Oregon Land Trust being that, that spot for Black folks across the state where they feel safe and cared for um, cared for and loved on. It's a beautiful vision and I'm um, going to be eagerly watching what happens, even though I know it'll be slow. Yeah. Watching. <laughs> um, thank you, Shante. Thank you, Anaka, so much for being on the food show today. I hope it goes well. Thank you, Emily. Right, thank you. I'm joined today by Latroy Robinson of the Preserve Coalition. Welcome, Latroy. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, tell us what the Preserve Coalition is all about. So Preserve is a coalition dedicated to healthy aging and older African Americans, um, looking at all um, focusing on areas from high blood pressure and diabetes all the way to dementia and Alzheimer's as they disproportionately affect Black folks going. Um, so yeah, we're kind of really here about just trying to support that by educating individuals in the community, um, supporting research that is focusing and highlighting older African-Americans um, with the purpose to further information for the Black community. Um, we do that by, again, just trying to educate everyone and socialize everybody together, really kind of help uplift the sense of community by also, you know, trying to rebuild some trust between the healthcare and medical field and the black community all together. Wow, so there's a lot in there. So there's mm -hmm. all the different areas that you're focusing on. But mm -hmm. then on top of that, there's a you know specific reason why you're focusing on African-American, the older adults. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about like both the why you're focused on the African-American community, why older adults, and then you know a, a little bit more about that distrust and why people might have more dist medical distrust that are in yeah. that age group and community? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think I'll start with the distrust portion. I think, I mean, historically, Black folks have been, uh, I mean, for the sake of the conversation, done dirty via medical field. If we look at the Tuskegee, Air, um, Tuskegee Airman experiment, um, there's just lots of reasons why, and then if you have any insight into the black community, you know, a lot of black people don't go to the doctor. A lot of people, a lot, a lot, it's very, um, almost a tradition that black people don't go to the doctor and don't um, take or seek the medical advice that they probably could need, but because they're, they're scared. Um, you kind of have it passed down and passed down that like, you know, 
there's a lot essentially for the sake of the conversation there's a lot of white people who don't care about black people running the hospital and the only times especially you know i've heard from a number of accounts of older black um folks in portland saying that like if it wasn't for dr unthink in portland um they would have never been going to the doctor they would have never they were, that was the only doctor they trusted to go and see um because a lot of times black people don't feel cared about in healthcare. um and it was actually we so we we supported a research that did a whole kind of survey of African Americans in healthcare, and just kind of like really kind of see that like you know representation really matters, people feeling important really matters, and also like people understanding that again this distrust that's been built over time has instilled a lot of just innate fear in people and hesitation and resistance to the medical field. And it takes a lot, it takes more on the part of the, you know, medical field to help undo that, to do undo that harm to, and then to undo um, all the mistrust that is built and, you know, rebuild new trust that strengthens, you know, and will actually allow Black people to feel comfortable coming to the hospital, going to see the doctor so that they can get their issues addressed. Because there are all these different um, diseases that disproportionately affect black people, high blood pressure, um, hypertension, diabetes, uh, dementia. So we have, which again, Preserve, I think started a little bit originally more out of focusing on brain health and dementia and um, older African-Americans and now has kind of just expanded to support all kinds of healthy aging in African, older African-Americans. Because um, um, in essence, it's all, it is all connected. Yeah. Um, so you've got this community that you're working with who doesn't necessarily trust doctors, doesn't trust the medical establishment, and you have these huge, like, life-altering medical conditions that you're also trying to make an impact on. What do you What are you doing? Like, what are your actual activities that are trying to make changes? Yeah. So recently. Um... Well, we support a couple of different research programs that definitely um, one is the SHARP uh, study, which is essentially a neighborhood walking program. And it has basically black, uh, older African-Americans who are part of this program download a app that has pretty much historical walking routes of that area that they're in. Um, it's been, I think it's starting to expand to LA, I mean not LA, but Cal some parts of Southern California, Chicago as well, and pretty much you have these older African Americans get in groups of like two or three, and they just walk these routes, and it's pretty much, you know, it'll pop up at like you know they're at the corner of this and this, and you know it, this used to be this old, like on the app it'll pop up showing them like a historical building that they knew growing up that is may not no longer be there. So it really, and then it records their conversations and then later we transcribe it, we, um, well, Sharp transcribes it. Um, and you have, you know, you get this really amazing dialogue of oral history and, you know, socializing, walking, all things that are good for health, healthy aging in the brain. So it's kind of, you know, making it fun to be healthier than, you know, originally planned. <laughs> like, cause I feel like, you know, being healthy means you have to like, oh, I have to go, you know, walking and going to exercise doesn't sound necessarily fun, but when you make it into, we're walking down these, essentially walking down memory lane with our friends from memory lane, it becomes a whole super exciting, you know, their time, their length. Um, so, you know, they're getting their exercises three times a week. They're getting their social hours three times a week. You know, things that are like, again, proven to show, um, help support healthy brain activity. Um, and then again, you know, you have that, and then compounded with Black Americans of not having that the same the same access to that kind of education and believing that access and believing in that information, it's really cool to like just be able to. It's not tricking them, but it's it's feeding them it in a different. It's a it's a different it's a different season. It's a different presentation of the same fundamentals, which is really really unique, I think. And we are looking at the disparity of. Um, the prevalence of hypertension in Black Americans compared to white Americans um, as it relates to sleep and blood pressure. So it is essentially we know that 
black people essentially sleep less. They have a shorter circadian cycle. We know that when you don't sleep as much as that there's a lot of issues that occur with that. Your blood pressure is supposed to dip when you sleep. Um, if you're sleeping less, your blood pressure isn't dipping as long. If you are even, if your blood pressure is even dipping. So, I mean, there, there's a lot going on to say that, like, there's a lot of reasons why black people that could potentially explain why black people have a higher pre prevalence of hypertension and that maybe our current therapies for hypertension, which are based off of essentially all white men studies, um, may not be the best effective way to properly treat hypertension in the black community. Um, where we're seeing this, these higher numbers is disproportionately affecting the black community. And then it gets dicey because that opens the concept of, you know, a therapy more specifically targeted towards potentially. And that, you know, now we're getting back into a lot of the fear that is in the Tuskegee, like that comes from like Tuskegee Airman experiments. So again, we also in the study work to like work in the study we're working with Preserve, which is how I got here, to build trust with the community, you know, and it just takes, it, it truly takes so much time. We have to just like go in and build, honestly trust one by one. And hopefully, you know, we build enough trust with black people, black folks talk to each other. We're really big about community that will eventually spread. But, you know, it, it takes a long time. It's a slow process, but one that has to begin. Amazing work. So you're the, the lead for that study. What's your role with the Preserve Coalition? Uh, I am the one of the co-chairs of Preserve. So, and then are you are you a full-time researcher? Or are you a, so I, an I work academic as a, area? Yes, I work as a full. So I'm the co-chair of the Preserve Coalition, um, and I am a full-time research assistant in the Clinical Physiology and Chronobiology Program, which is the study that we basically run our sleep and blood pressure studies and a couple other sleep studies as well. But I'm the one that focuses on blood pressure in Black folks. And I'm assuming that's at OHSU? At OHSU, excuse me, yeah. So I, I love the focus and the emphasis on building community in research studies <laughs> and to have better um, better data collection and better information from those research studies. So what are some of the ways you're working on building community and building that trust? So, I mean, the biggest one and most recently we've been doing is the talk and taste. And, um, and the slight variations of it, the talk and taste came out of the SHARP program as well, that neighborhood walking program was kind of one of the final steps where essentially the format is there's a presenter at the beginning, depending on the, what the topic of the talk, talk and taste is. We have a kind of memory and movement portion where they do like they, they do um, some slight movement, and then we get into we show like a, a historical picture, and then there's a you know flash, a, a conversation that kind of you know jog, jogs memory again, kind of relinking memory and movement and the importance of the two for older. Um, African-Americans and then there's the taste portion in person originally was we had you know healthy snacks or like healthy soul food snacks healthy twists on different um, traditionally um, less nutritious uh, soul dishes and different you know have a catered and there you know people get to talk and eat and kind of really socialize but with recently with it having to go virtual we can't really you know cater food so we're out here um recent though the, we've done two virtual talking tastes now and the first one we had a cooking demonstration on just ways to again nutritious to, to make healthier versions of our favorite soul food dishes without losing the flavor and all the fears with being healthy and then recently in our most recent talking taste we had a kind of a presentation about taste that was looking at how to make your food more nutritious had this call for the love of health and it was disseminating information from black nurses and people who are on who've been dealing with the vaccine and they uh we did a, they did a presentation on just kind of like educating about the vaccine so we have all these african-american older african-americans attending this meeting where they're getting to learn information about the vaccine from black bodies hearing um you know dispelling myths, dispelling um, fears and concerns, also addressing um, and, you know, addressing the 
nuances of getting the vaccine and not getting the vaccine, just truly trying to educate full circle around the vaccine. There's a panel and then we had a taste portion that looked at how to kind of supercharge foods, especially during like um, times when you're feeling under the weather or you, to prevent you from feeling under the weather. That's kind of like how we've had to take a tw twist on the taste portion of the talk and taste. So. What were some of those tips that they gave? Um, so recently, I think Norma said, who was Norma Rickster was the nutritionist that we had on. And she, I think the one that stuck with me the most, she was like spinach. Easiest thing to put into so many stuff, to so many different dishes or to blend it up into things because it has such a mild taste. It truly doesn't change, overall change the taste too much of any dish. And um, all it does is change the color. So if you can get past the color change, spinach is a great way just to easily, you know, um, make your food a lot more nutritious. I was curious if we were going to talk about vaccines. I think it's, you know, something that's mm -hmm. on our minds right now. Um, older Oregonians are just now starting to get mm -hmm. the vaccines th this week yes. or last week. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, how that information was received by the participants and just, you know, the other other work you might be doing around trying to encourage people? So, yeah, I think the information was received in a a relatively positive way. I think it was truly refreshing to, for people to hear it from someone who looks like them, to hear the facts from someone who looks like them, to hear, you know, it from somebody who looks like maybe for you know one of these older African Americans maybe their daughter is telling them the truth like you know and it's it, it's a little bit more of an intimate conversation I think the presenters did a great job at being able to really just speak on the concerns that a lot of older African Americans were having what well, things about you know and answering specific information or uh, to the best of their ability answering specific information of like if I have a you know can I get this vaccine and the flu vaccine at the same time can I, you know, things from those kinds of questions to, is this going to make me have a third head? Like, you know, am I, am I, am I, is it going to sprout out my neck after taking it? What's inside the vaccine? What kind of vaccine is it? All these information that I feel like never, at least in my experience, really gets to the black community. And therefore, you know, we start to speculate on our own, oh, it's probably this, or, you know, someone has said something and now that's what everyone is hearing. And so no one's having like the actual fact because there's no one bringing the information to them. And I think, especially with older African-Americans and their, I mean, just, I guess, not as vibrant use of social media like we do, or just being able to use the internet like vibrantly as we, as younger generations can, it becomes hard for them to, and then they truly, all they have left is their own education and their own fears to fall back on. So it makes a lot of sense why folks have a lot of all this distrust about the vaccine and not, and it's really just being in the dark about the vaccine. So, you know, there were questions about is the vaccine safe given that it's done it's made kind of ahead of a normal vaccine schedule all these things um what happens if i don't take the vaccine you know what happens to me at work if everyone else has the vaccine and i don't take the vaccine you know these kind of, what is herd immunity and explaining what herd immunity is and when 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 people might see that to be cheated so just all different kinds of questions about the vaccine that i feel like a lot of people generally have um, and then it was really cool that to know that this particular group of um, folks who don't have necessarily the best access to that information readily um, was able to just kind of be able to ask questions, hear it straight from people who look like them. That's really cool. I think, you know, everyone would probably love to have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's an amazing, um, I guess, service that you're able to offer to this community that you've brought together. How did the preserve? How does the preserve coalition find participants? How are you getting people to attend your event? Where are they right. coming from? So a lot of, I mean, a lot of them were especially before COVID or before the quarantine last year. We were doing a lot of advertising just in places that a number of like like churches, black churches, a number of places that like neighborhoods that are predominantly more black. And, but a lot of it's just word of mouth as well. Um, you know, it's us telling our aunts, our older, I guess the elders in our family that are in Portland, you know, getting them, getting them and their friends, getting them and their friends' friends. Preserve is truly built with the community. So like the members who are, who have a position on Preserve 
are it's, it's a mix of community and people from OHSU so as to not make it seem like it's a very you know OHSU's heavy focus though I think like you know some years it's a little more community sometimes it's a little more OHSU heavy but we try to build it with the community recruit through the community um it's been harder during the COVID times for sure because we're not able to go in we're not able to see people so a lot of us is relying on our already existing target audience and our uh, members but yeah no it's it's I think that's something we are actively trying to work on and expand I think a lot of people don't know about preserve um which is truly um just sad because i feel like this is a coalition that can really just bring a lot of information relatively quick to the black community and i think that preserve has the capability to truly just like on an education basis really bring opportunities to black um black bodies so i just it is something that we are definitely working with. Um, it's hard to reach our target audience. And we've been trying to go through, we're gonna start trying to explore through libraries, it's kind of places that older African-Americans are more likely to interact with. Do you have a, a target age group for your participants? Is it is it like 65 and over or 50? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think our typically our target age group is between 50 and 80, 50, or like definitely 50 and above. But most of mm-hmm. our, I think a, a good amount of our um, attendees are close, definitely higher in age, 70s and 80s. So, because I mean, again, like that's, and that's our focus. We're really looking at probably like 16 above, but um, we do, we are right now at this point, we're really encouraging cooperation um, and in, inviting all black community members and just people who run, who community members who think like this work is really important and really want to give, you know, resources and the connections or opportunities for preserve. Um, we're always welcoming research that to like different research programs who want to work with us. We definitely support collaboration as long as it works with our goals. Um, we're always really here because we definitely want to like spread the existence of preserve. I think it's also so important that you're you're continuing this work despite mm-hmm. having to be virtual just because we know older adults often feel more impacts of isolation mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. general. And now, especially given the inability to interact in person with a lot of people yeah. well I mean it's their choice right mm-hmm. <laughs> people can choose to interact but in general it seems like most people are you know staying home and not hanging out with their families as much right. and you know younger people are staying away from their older family yeah, members because they want to protect them right so having these places where people can come together even if it's virtual seems super extra important right now absolutely we've it was it was a little tricky at first. I think now that we have kind of the blueprint for a virtual talk and taste, it's not so bad anymore. But it's truly awesome to see. Um, and I think I always some tend to never forget, but always not probably remember how powerful the ability to lay eyes on your community is. And I think I want to do remember to you know. I think I try. I'm trying to do better and remembering that because whenever we do these talking tastes and you see them log on and they see each other it's just really you know people are smiling people just come in and then maybe they're not even having conversations but they can just see that you know they're just seeing other black people other black people who look like them they're friends um everyone is doing good you know it's just even if it's not a verbal check-in it's just that i can physically see you and know that you are existing still which is always really nice to see in their faces when they join the events and you know it's tough especially for older african-americans when they don't have access to necessarily as much of the technology to do these kinds of um to do these kinds of events so you know we've definitely partnered with the Multnomah county library to like kind of help like pass out like um provide technical support and assistance of like how to use like an ipad as well as for the event being able to distribute like iPads for folks to use during the event, um, which has been super cool that we've been able to provide that. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, That's really cool. And it's something I've noticed with virtual events is even when people are struggling to, you know, connect their audio or there's some sort of glitch or error, people still get that feeling of being connected to other people because they're, just like you're saying they're seeing each other and they're having that moment of connection it seems like all of the work you are doing is really impressive have have any of the studies that you've 
participated in or that Preserve is participating included? Like, do you have any outcomes that you could share? Um, no, I don't think any of the research that we've completely um, has, like, all any of the programs have completely come to the end. I know Sharp, the Sharp one is coming on it. It's expanding, but also I think they're still analyzing data. Yeah, I mean, for most of our studies, they're not at a point where we're like, able to like make any like straight findings. We're seeing things, but yeah, it's everything's still in the works. It's just a lot of these studies just, um, just kind of take time. And then COVID obviously put a big halt in the SHARP program. You can't really do neighborhood walking with your, with your friends as much now during COVID times. So um, everything's been on a big halt. Yeah. <laughs> Came back up though, hopefully. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share about what the Preserve Coalition is working on? Um, we have another talk and taste coming up, and it's going to be in May, I think towards the middle of May. Um, and it's going to be exciting. Um, I believe we're going to focus on mental health awareness and holistic health. I think is kind of where we think we're going with that focus. Um, but definitely love for people to tune in. Um, yeah, I'm excited. If people wanted more information about the Talk and Taste that's in May or to learn more about the Preserve Coalition, how could they find out? Uh, the quickest way is to go to the preservecoalition.org website. Um, subscribe there. We have all our we have our email information. So anybody who wants to work with us or just wants to be a part of Preserve. Um, email us. We'll put you on our list. We'll let you know about our meetings. Um, we meet w- once a month, every second Wednesday. And are those meetings happening virtually now? Yes, they are happening virtually now. Thank you so much, Latroy. This is Thank such you. an awesome organization. I'm so <laughs> excited to have just learned a lot about it. I really appreciate the work that y'all are doing. Thank you so much. I super appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for tuning into the Food Show. If you missed any of the show or want to find links and resources, visit kboo.fm slash foodshow to listen. Find us on Instagram at pdxfoodshow and catch the next episode on March 17th. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.
KBOO Portland. Coming up next is Jazz Lives, right after these news headlines. Bienvenidos a un breve informativo en su estación comunitaria KBOO 90.7 FM. 